Word of God. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 out of the Revelation. The angel of the church of Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently the bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans, I'm sorry. Long night watching Nick Jr. Which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Let's pray. Christ, the temptation is to read the Bible and come up with some lovely form of a sermon to to sound good and to be pleasing and to maybe learn something new. But, oh, Holy Spirit, May in this moment there be more than just form. May there be more than just a message. Oh, Holy Spirit, may we see the truth, be transformed by it, and repent into the words of our Lord, Christ Himself. Lord, in all of my weakness and in all of my inadequacies and in all of my insecurities, preach the Word. Take that which is weak and show Your strength. For Your glory's sake, in Your name. I got to tell you, I come with a little fear this morning. I had a dream last night about you all. I really did. I woke up about three o'clock this morning in a cold sweat. I don't, Sandy. I don't know if you ever dream like you miss a note or something on the piano. Yeah, you have dreams like that. Dude. So last night I dreamed. I looked out, and about two thirds of you were leaning on each other's shoulders asleep. You ever have that dream, Phil? 
Yeah. I mean, I was sweating when I woke up. It's just it's And Jeff Switz. Jeff, are you here? Did I see Jeff? Jeff told me I had a really lousy singing voice. You made a point to walk up to me right after the sermon and go, you know, you really don't sing well. Did you say amen? <laughs> you know, I, I suppose there's all sorts of ways you could analyze that dream. You could psychoanalyze it somehow. But I think at the root of it was, I, need, I, I, just, I just need to know love. But I think that's true about every single one of us. I think all of us have these deep-seated insecurities that, that are driven by not only the need to be loved, but the need to love. In fact, our personalities are, are formed by that, aren't they? Whether we're introverted or we're extroverted. Some of us are introverted because love has bruised us. And, and, it's, and we've become dissatisfied or afraid or we don't, we don't want to risk that putting ourselves out there because we've been wounded so deeply by love and it's caused an introversion that, that we naturally have in our personality. There's other of us like, like me that are, you know, extroverted. And you, but you may not understand that the, in many cases the extroversion comes out as, I want to be loved. I'm afraid that I'm not loved, so I, I want to perform. I want to, I want to tell you jokes. I want to make you laugh. I want to make you cry. I want, to, I want to have an impact somehow in your life so that you'll find me acceptable. And so you can see where either the need for love or the need to love, is it, it drives everything that we do. Some of us are driven to have power and a lot of money so that we might have admiration and the, and the world to love us. And some of us realize we, we don't have those gifts to do that kind of thing, so we just figure the love never will, the world never will love us, so we withdraw into shyness and mediocrity and, and just say, oh, well, whatever. But you see, the point of that is that everything in us, whether we're walled off or whether we're out there, is driven by a need to be loved and a need to love. But we, ne- we stop there sometimes and we never think, what's the reason for that? What is the reason that love drives us so, so crazy sometimes? It ought to bring us to the conclusion of understanding because we were created to love and to be loved as a priority, as a first thing. That when God made man and woman in His image, He made them in His image for the purpose of being intimate with them. To have relationship with them. So that there might be love exchanged between God and His creation and His creation back to God. And therefore, out of God's love for His creation and their love for Him, creation loves creation as the image bearers of God. We come hardwired as the first priority of the human nature is love. 
Now I know for some, that's a difficult conclusion to come to. And I know for some, you've been wounded so deeply that that's a risky conclusion to come to. And for some, we've used the word love like we've used the word like in our culture to the point where love has little meaning anymore. But don't let any of that cover our eyes that we cannot see what Jesus is saying here to the church in Ephesus. That the first stone to lay in the church, especially in the church, is your first love. So I want to look at that this morning. I'm going to explain the text here in just a minute. But I want us to note, first of all, and if we get nothing else out of this, the primacy of love as far as God is concerned. It comes as no surprise that Ephesus would be the first church that the Lord addresses. And the first thing in the church where he rebukes is love. And I want to talk about then why why is love, what, what is it, what does it look like? And then how do we express it? And then what do we do in light of that? So this text, this text is, is much like the rest of the letters. And we're going to go through each of the letters over the next several weeks written to this, the churches here in Revelation. Because each one has a unique lesson for us to, to learn now. It's important to understand that this, this letter, the Revelation, it didn't just like the, the letter to the church of Ephesus just didn't go to Ephesus. It also went to Pergamum, and it also went to Samaria, and it also went to Laodicea. It was a, it was a whole letter that was circulating around all of the churches. So it would be like the Lord writing a, a letter to the churches in East Glenville. And they all passed it around, and they all got to see what was going on in each other's lives, like, like I come to East Glenville and I say, you've fallen. You've, you've, the Lord says you've lost your first love. But, but over in, you know, the church over there on uh, um, Clifton Park, they've, um, they're putting up with some things they shouldn't put up with morally. Can you imagine how we'd all be talking about one another if that letter was going through? But the point of that is this that this is for our church too. It's a letter to all the churches. And who's the letter addressed from? The letter comes from the, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, it's a few commentaries that say this, but I just have to get it out there because, because it's fun. That think that the angel is, is not like an angel with wings, but it's actually the pastor of the church. Because the word literally translates out messenger. And so it's to the messenger of the church, or to the pastor of the church, write this. I bet some of you never thought of me as an angel. (laughs) But whatever it means, angel or truly an angel over our church, the Lord pins these words through that angel to the church and says, this is the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand those seven stars being a complete number of all of his churches, that he holds all of his bodies 
in His hands. He is sovereign. He controls them. He protects them. He provides for them. He who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that He is present with His churches. All of them. All of those who call upon Him. He holds them. He protects them with His mighty right arm. He provides for them. And He's present with them. And hear what He says to them. Particularly His church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. Now, the church in Ephesus is a great church to study because, of course, we know in Acts 19, right? It's all about Ephesus and the churches going on there and how they started and, and good things. So we see the full lifespan of, of the church in Ephesus. And then we, of course, have the letter to the Ephesian church by, from Paul. And then we have not only that, but the letters from Paul to Timothy, the, the two letters from Paul to Timothy. And, and you, get, you can read this later and get a real insight into what was happening in the church in Ephesus. And, and in fact, one of the things that Paul really accommodates the church in Ephesus for at the very beginning, he says, I greet you in the name of the Lord, and I want you to know, I've heard about the way you love the saints. It's great. Your reputation is, is that you're a real loving church. And so it's from there that we get this letter that's penned about, listen, I know all the good works you do. You're a church that is patiently enduring in the culture that you live in. They're under the temple of Artemis or Diana, which was a god of fertility. And all sorts of prostitution was happening there. All sorts of monetary and materialism was going on in this. And the church is in the shadow of that particular temple. And Paul says, or I'm sorry, the Lord says, and, and this letter to the Revelation is, I, I know how you're persevering in your culture. You're holding on to the truth. Good job. You're enduring the suffering. Because this was the beginning of the persecution of the church. People were literally losing their lives to say, I'm, I'm a part of the way. I, I follow Christ. And for that, families were disowning family members and, and governments were stoning people and, and all sorts of persecution was coming down and ostracization of people because they've said, I belong to Christ. Not much different than our world, is it? We tend to think that was back then and it was awful, but just take a look around us. Look around in our community. And look at how morality has just plummeted within our community. Look in, in the darkness that surrounds this campus. Look at what we're doing now with sexual identification. How we're confusing our children with their biology. How the idea of being a man is now repulsive to be masculine. How we worship flesh. Whether it's the covering of clothing or the, the covering with jewels or, or how vain men have become in their appearance. Now, not all of that's bad. I mean, we needed to take it up a notch. But we're consumed with the way our earrings look. 
Now, that's not a fashion statement. That's not. I'm just saying we have come far into degrading where we once were in our morality. You see, it, it, we're living in a culture that's not a whole lot different than that. And it's easy for us. It's so easy for us to sit in our four walls and judge everything that's going on out there. came to me just a few years ago that I realized in my heart of hearts I'm a Pharisee. I know some of, some of you are thinking, you, Mr. Graceman, a, a Pharisee? Yeah, because I realized I really do not like people who do not like people. Now, you'll get that in just a minute. But I judge people who judge people. I'm mean to people who are mean to people. I'm a bully to bullies. It looks good on the outside. It sounds good from a pulpit. And it looks good within the four walls of the Christian community. But what does it communicate to the world out there? And what are we? What am I communicating to the world out there? You see, Jesus is saying... You guys have got it. You know the rules. And you're good about keeping the rules. You're good about working. You don't put up with evil. You don't put up with false doctrine. You, I, I know, I speak firsthand. You guys know your Bible. If, if we have a difference in theology, you guys are able to argue your differences pretty well. I'm still right. That's a joke. But you're good at it. And see, that's what Paul's, or Jesus is accommodating, giving, giving glory to them, telling them you did a good job, you're doing a great job. It sounds like a church you'd want to join, doesn't it? You're patient. You don't put up with a bunch of evil. You've tested those all around you. You're in this horrible culture and yet you're holding on and enduring for my name's sake. And you, you haven't gotten tired of doing it. Man, what a place. If they've got a good children's program, it's where I want to belong. Right? But then, then Jesus says, but... But, I have this against you. Oh my gosh. I, God, have this against you. Our ears ought to just, whoa. (laughs) I've had people against me. I don't like it. Makes me uncomfortable. It hurts. <laughs> it makes me just thrive more to want to be loved. Can you imagine if you really understood that God has something against you? And what is it that He has? What's the first thing? 
you have abandoned the love you had at first. Immediately, 1 Corinthians 13 comes to my mind. I'm just, it's just pouring all over me. I can, I can do all these good works. I can, I can be faith. I can have faith. I can preach the word. I can go to seminary. I can, I can be the greatest expositor of the word there ever was. I can write books. I can be a, a Christian celebrity for that matter. But if I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. I have absolutely nothing. And what Jesus says here to the church in Ephesus, that if you do not have your first love, your church is dying. You can have good doctrine. You can know your Bible. You can sing some great songs. You can do some fine work amongst each other. You can even go out there and clean up a park. But if you do not have your first love, you're dying on the vine. That's that's not me saying that. This is a direct quote out of the mouth of Jesus. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Matthew 22. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second is as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. See, there it is. I always thought it was just the first one. Love the the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Got it! I love you, Lord! But man, there's some people that you have that are yours that really irritate the spit out of me. And I don't like them. I would never have felt that way when I first came to Jesus. I loved everybody. Saint and sinner alike. My heart was consumed with love. Because I realized I was loved. And I realized how unworthy I was to be loved. And yet, out of all of my unworthiness to be loved, He came and God loved me. And I was filled with that love. That love poured over me. I didn't want to do anything else but love. In fact, my whole goal in life was that on my tombstone would be written, Loved well. Just two words. That's all I wanted on my marker. Loved well. You see, the first love that I had when I was struck by Jesus is much like the gooey love I had when I was struck by love from my wife. Everything about me was through Him. Everything about others was through Him. He wasn't a concept. He wasn't a theology. He wasn't a song. He wasn't an organ or a piano or a guitar or a drum. He wasn't whether it's ESV or NIV or NESV or KJV with a zipper and red letters. He was Him. 
He was the living God. He is the living God. He is the person, Jesus Christ, who came into my life and loved me with an everlasting love as we read and we call ourselves into worship. I have loved you with an everlasting love. What that means is this, that the omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent love of the triune God has focused on you as the object of His affection and said, I will continue to pour out my love and deluge it upon you, lavish you, as John would say, in my love forever and ever and ever and ever again. Amen. So that you will know that you are loved. And when I realized that, when that became the truth for me, it was so easy to be patiently and loving towards others. Do you remember when you first came to Jesus? Did you feel that kind of love? Did you really understand that's what happened? You didn't just get saved. You got loved. And because of that, you became a lover. Let me pull up Romans 5, 5 for you on the screen. Just take a look at Paul writes this to the Roman church. You guys will remember it from a few weeks ago. And hope does not put us to shame because... God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You can say, hey, I'm really not a loving person. If you are a follower of Christ, that's not optional. Because it isn't about you. And it isn't about the emotion that you gin up. It is about the revelation and the realization that when you came to Christ, God poured not a love, not some love, but His love into you. That if you call upon the name of Christ, you've placed your faith in Him, the transaction has happened, yes, you've been saved, but you have also had His love deluged into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. If we stopped right there, that would be enough, wouldn't it? i got more, but don't get your hopes up. Just think about this. Let's just ponder that for a moment. That what God said in Jeremiah 31, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and Paul echoes in Romans chapter 5 that God has poured His love into us. That should undo us. That should make us regret every critical word we've said about one another. That should rebuke our parking lot conversations that we have about each other's shortcomings. It might even cause someone from the south seeking to preach God's Word a little grace. It might even 
It might even mean you do things not because they're expected, but just because you love Jesus. You see, it's the primacy of love because God has poured His love into our hearts. Let's look at this. What, what is love? What does it, what does it look like? Look at first, pull up first John 4.10, please. In this is love. I mean, how could it be more plain? What is love? This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation or to be the payment or to be the, be the complete covering, the turning away of God's wrath for our sins. In other words, beloved, if we, God so loved us, there it is. We ought to love one another. You see, you, can't, you and I can't say I love God and not love one another. The church can't say we honor God with our Bible. We honor God with our knowledge. We honor God with our theology. We honor God with our morality. But we don't really care for one another. And we really don't care about those people out there. The Scriptures won't allow us to behave that way. And if we do, and we go contrary to the Scripture, you're a dying church. It won't be long. Because Jesus says, repent. Remember where you were, where you've fallen. Remember your first love. Remember what it was like when you first came to me. Remember when that, when that cover was lifted up and you saw the blackness of your own heart. You saw the darkness of your own mind. Remember it. Remember when you found out how disgusting your thoughts were before the Lord and He said, you know what? I still love you and I cover it. I'm the propitiation for that. And I love you and I pour my love into your heart. Remember that day. Remember that moment. Remember that era of your life. So that you can love one another. And you can love others. Do you remember? Do you remember when you were just a prostitute? Sold out to the highest bidder for the greatest amount of comfort while you were seeking to be loved. And God came and said to you, I will love you with an everlasting love. You will be my wife, my spouse. You will be my adoration. You remember that? Because if you do, and if I do, then all of a sudden, love begins to pour out from us. And life comes from love because it's what we were created to do. And Jesus says, remember how that was and then repent back to it. 
And if not, Jesus says He will come and He will remove the lampstand. Now that church in Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. Once was a thriving city, once was a thriving church in a thriving city. Once had everything together, but now it's just a bunch of rubble. And it no longer exists. It's no mystery why. They didn't return to their first love. So this is what love is. That God first loved us. So how are we to express it? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 and go to what Paul says to the Ephesian church for this reason. This is his great prayer for that church. This is in the height of their, their glory. He praises for them. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth, here it is, the people on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory may grant you be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You see how important love is? So important that the Apostle Paul would pray that the church would have the strength the wisdom, the breath, the knowledge to know this surpassing love so that it might express it. To know that you are loved by God and to love God without it being expressed is no love at all. It's selfishness. Christ encourages the church by all it's doing right, but says in the midst of all that you're doing right, I rebuke you, because in all that you're doing right, you have the one thing, the one ingredient that makes it all worthless. You're lacking that one thing that makes it worthwhile, your first love. How do we get back? Well, first, just kind of want to ask these three questions in hopes that the answers will begin to move us back to our first love. And it's a question of honesty. And unless you will be brutally honest with yourself and in your own heart, and more, more than that, be honest with God on how you'll answer these questions. Because if you're not, if you tend to, ju- if you want to try to justify yourself, or I want to try to just my, justify myself before the Lord, I will end up in the same place as Job. I've spoken and I should have kept my mouth shut. What God's calling for us to do is to be honest. First question is this. What do you love more than Jesus? What or who do you love more than Jesus? Comfort, 
Money? Children? Your need to be right? Your own self-righteousness? Your bitterness? Your anger? Your fear? What is it that you love and honor and worship more than Jesus? Now take that to Him. And repent. Whatever the answer to that question is for you, I know what it is for me, whatever it is for you, and it could be a computer screen, it, it could be could be pills, it could be a bottle, it could be all sorts of different things. But take it to Him. And confess it and say, Lord, I have loved these things more than I have loved You. I repent. Fill me with the truth of Your love again for me so that I might begin to take that love and love others with it. So that my life will be consumed not with myself, but with loving other people. Second question is this. How can we grow in intimacy with Jesus and others? How can we begin to grow in intimacy with Jesus and others? Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. We just had the slide up. Write it down on your bulletin. Write it down in your your Bible. Write it down on your pad. Write it down on your phone. Put it somewhere. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. I want you to take a challenge with me. You don't, you don't have to, but I think you would find that it will help you to grow in intimacy along with me. And the challenge is this. For the next 30 days, every morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Can you put that slide back up, Mark? For this reason, God, this is what the prayer would look like. For this reason, God, I bow on my knees before you. Next slide. From where every family on the heaven and the earth is named, that you are the Lord over us all, and that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant me the strength with power through your Spirit in my inner being, so that I may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, O oh God, will give me the strength to comprehend with everyone else what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ for me that surpasses knowledge, that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, take those verses for the next 30 days, first thing in the morning, and personalize them and make it your prayer. Make Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church your prayer for yourself. And then watch how the Spirit transforms.
and helps you and I and equips you and I to repent and come back to that joy, that excitement, that fullness, that grace that we once knew. Where we were quick to forgive, we were incredibly patient. We would repent quickly from saying bad things about other people. We served not because it was duty, but because it was delight. We weren't constricted or restricted by age or schedules. In fact, everything was available to us first for Christ and then afterwards. Everything else fell into place from that. How much of our lives are driven by everything else but Christ? Just take a look at your your schedule. Who drives? What drives? What are the things that drive your schedule? Are they of you and yourself or are they of Christ? Lord, I pray for the next 30 days, let me know. Give me the strength. Give me the knowledge. Give me the wisdom to know Your surpassing love for me so that I may love the family of God and those around me. And the last question is this, how can I begin to express the love that God has given me? It's not hard. Again, out of Romans, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Lord, here's what I have loved more than you. Here's the places, here's the things that drive my life more than you drive my life. Here's, here, honestly, God, here's my heart. Here's everything about me. I'm coming clean, God. I'm before your throne and I'm spilling out my heart. I'm spilling out my mind. I want to make a list, God, of everything that I have loved more than you. I want to, I want to tell you, Lord, every place in my life that I've trusted the wisdom of men more than I've trusted you. God, everything that I have done in my life, I want to lay out before you and say, Christ, I repent. I want to love you more, Christ, and know your love for me more, Christ, than I know anything else. And Lord, I now pray that I would have the strength, the wisdom, the might to understand that. To know what it means to be filled with the everlasting love of God in my heart by the Holy Spirit. So that I would present myself before you, O Lord, and say, God, whatever you want. Wherever you want. Whenever you want. Let me be your servant. Let me be your living sacrifice by living to you and dying to myself. Because I love you first and foremost above all things, Lord God. You may wonder why. And the answer is this. Because God has loved you first and foremost. He created you so that He could love you.
should say that again. He created you so that He could love you. One of our granddaughters, I won't mention her name, don't want to embarrass her. She's getting to the age now. If they listen to this, she'll get embarrassed. But she had a blanket. That blanket went with her everywhere. They were inseparable. She loved that blanket. That was her first love in life. She loved that blanket more than she loved food. She loved that blanket more than she loved playing. She loved that blanket more than that blanket went everywhere. And pretty soon that blanket didn't look like a blanket anymore. It looked like a long string of dirt and food and all sorts of things. And I want to tell you something. If you went to take that blanket away from her, she'd clutch tighter and she would scream, kick, bite, do whatever she had to do to keep you from touching that blanket. Because that was her blanket. That was her first love. That is how God feels about you. You may be beat up, bruised, banged up, torn up, need to go in the washing machine, all sorts of things. But you need to understand God's not going to let go of you. That you're His love. So that you would know you're how to love Him first. So that we may love others. Let's don't let the lamp burn out. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you in this communion meal where we remember, we recall, and we celebrate the love you had for us and how, Lord, when we were still unlovable, when we were still not worth loving, when we were, in fact, angry at you and you were angry at us, you decided, oh God, to love us by sending your Son. And so that everything that was in between us, everything that caused anger for you, everything that stirred up your wrath, you poured out on Jesus for our sake. And Lord, maybe there's someone in here today that does not know that. In fact, Lord, in a group this size, we know there are some here this morning that do not understand that You love them. And that You took Your Son and You beat Him and had Him punished and died on a cross on their behalf so that they might know Your first love for them. God, we pray for them right now. I pray for them, Lord, that they would know that they can come to You and confess and be loved like they've never been loved before. But Lord, for us at East Glenville as a church, in all of the changes and all of the, the things that we do, may we recall, O oh Lord, what it means to be loved by You so that we may love You and love others with a first love. As we break the bread and we drink the cup, we remember, we recall, we are strengthened by this communion meal, O oh God, to go forth not in hate and bitterness and anger and separation and divisions, but we proclaim we are unified in You with Your love. And we will take that love to the world. We pray this in Your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, let's stand and sing together.
table of the Lord, let us prepare our minds and our hearts for that which we are about to receive. Let us pray. Most gracious God, our everlasting lover, our Father, our provider, we ask, O God, in the presence that you have with us in this moment, the intimacy that we have in this moment with You, that You would bring to mind for each of us the everlasting, incredible, magnificent, marvelous love of heaven from Your throne that You displayed upon the cross on our behalf. And Lord, where we confess and need to confess, we confess our sins before You in this moment of silence. Now, O Lord, separate this bread from its common use, this fruit of the vine from its common use, that it would be real spiritual food for us to feed us, to strengthen us, to help us to comprehend this love and real spiritual drink, that it would slake the thirst that we have, O God, and we would be satisfied in all that is You. And that we would be equipped, O God, 
to share that love with one another and with the whole world. We ask this in your name, O oh God. Amen. So we ask you to come forward. The ushers will start on the sides and bring you forward. We ask that you take the elements and hold on to them till we can partake of them together. And we'll give you instructions when to do that. But on the night our Lord was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it. He said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Take, eat all of it. In like manner, after the dinner and a blessing, He took the cup and He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. It's my blood that was shed for the remission of your sins. Take and drink it as you show forth my death until my return. Even in this meal, we have the promise of eternal love of a God who purchases us, who blesses us, who feeds us, and will come again for us. We ask parents that if your children are too young to understand what they're doing, that you would not have them partake, but you would have it as a teaching moment for them. That you might tell them at home later, this is what the communion meal was about. But if they understand, they are invited to the table. In fact, all are invited to the table who call upon the name of the Lord. This table is not this church's table, but it's the Lord's table. And He has broken His body for you, and He has shed His blood for you, that you might know what it means to be loved. See, elders, come forward. Let us pray. Lord, again, we ask You would uh, take these elements and fill us, strengthen us, and show us our, Your love for us. In Your name we pray. Amen.